check one, we are in business, and we are going to dive right into Ephesians chapter one. I think it's in our bulletin too, right? Okay, I'll read from that. So you can either look on the screen behind me or in your bulletin. You know what? Let me pray for us as we get as we dive into Ephesians. It needs some prayer because it's, it's some heavy-duty stuff. Lord God, this is your word. This is your truth. This is your power. <coughs> we pray that you would give us receptivity of heart. We pray that you would give us ears to, to hear from you. We pray that you would join us right now and, and, and connect us to your word. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would enliven the words of Scripture, that they might cut us, but also heal us, Lord, so that we could be made new. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Wow. Paul gets right at it here. In the Greek, this is one sentence. (laughs) And he is effusive. He is going bananas because he is so excited about the truth of the gospel. So we're going to look into that this morning. We're looking at the truth of gospel. But um, I want to just throw out a few preliminary thoughts for us as we get into the book of Ephesians. Uh, The book of Ephesians has been called the greatest book in the New Testament by certain scholars. Maybe not by everybody. But a lot of scholars consider this to be the pinnacle of Paul's writing. Even more impressive in its scope than Romans which is hard to believe, which is one of the most, uh, the longest letters of Paul in the New Testament. It's an incredible book about the Christian message and the Christian mission. So we're going to get into both of those things. And I'm confident that as we dive into this book, you'll be both encouraged and challenged by what Paul is teaching of the truths of Jesus Christ in this book. Now, I picked a word for us to help gather and encapsulate and summarize what is in Ephesians. And you might have seen it if you look at the social media, if you're on our Instagram. Are you on our Instagram? You need to get on there. You need to like it every time you see a post. But on there, we have this word, and it's ownership. (coughs) Ownership. That's, 
That's very much what this book is about. One of the things we're going to see here in this first little section, this first chapter, and really in the first couple chapters, is God's ownership of us. How God comes in. God is the actor. God is the chooser, it says. He predestines us. Yes, we're going to get into that, even though it causes a lot of controversy in the Christian church. We're going to dive right in. Um, And also, uh, the other side of the coin of ownership, this book is also about, we'll find in the final three chapters, four, five, and six, it's about our our taking ownership of what he has done in our life. So it's about this idea that, okay, so God has found me. So God has chosen me, as we're going to see in this passage here this morning. Now what do I do with that? How do I, Paul's like, here's how you live that out. Here's how you own your faith. And if you're like me, it's easy to, when you come to Scripture, to just sort of read it and be curious about it and be like, okay, I'm going to think some thoughts about God. I'm going to think some thoughts about the Bible and, and not really take it in and really own it. Like, I am, I am, this is true about me and I'm going to live it. I am going to wake up Monday morning and I am going to live this truth. I'm not just going to like go to Sunday services and get a nice thought for the day. And that's what Paul's, he, he's like, Paul's like, you've got to own it. You've got you to get into it. You gotta, it's got to be every thought from every waking moment. Um, this message is that powerful. He's like, the Christian message is going to revolutionize your life. And we'll see that throughout the book of Ephesians. Um, so here's an illustration to help us out with this ownership thing. If you've ever been a real estate agent or you know a real estate agent, there's a little secret that a little birdie told me because I know one. And that is that when someone, and you might know this from your own experience of buying a home, when someone buys a home, they never buy on pure, cold logic, ever. There's always an emotional element to it. And that is why almost all real estate agents know your budget is a joke. (laughs) You're going to go over that the first day you start looking at houses. And they're going to show you tons of homes that are well over your budget. Because they know if you get emotionally attached to a particular home and you just love that bathroom that's downstairs and the kitchen just warms your heart, absolutely will take on way too much debt. I would love to be house poor. Thank you very much, real estate agent. And that's, but y'all, that's what ownership is all about. Ownership, there is a personal nature to it. There is a warmth to it. It's like, this is mine. And you know what? When something is mine... I'm really going to take care of it, and I'm going to treasure it, and I'm going to love it, which is why, Nathan, I know you're in the rental business. Often, I'm, not, I'm sure it's not always the case, but often someone who's renting a home doesn't really take care of it because they're like, uh, it's, I don't own it. It's not, it's not mine. I don't treasure it. I don't value it in the same way when I'm renting it. But when I own it, I want to keep it nice. I want to I put upgrades on it. I want to really care for it. And so that's kind of what we're talking about with ownership here God, when he, as he takes ownership of us, he treasures us. He, it's like, this is mine. I value this. And it's true for us. When we own the Christian message, the Christian faith, we value it. We treasure it. We truly care for it in our lives and don't just treat it as something that we're renting. Um, so ownership is going to be a theme. You're going to hear me bring that up. You'll get sick of it, pretty much guaranteed, um, by the time we're done with the series. But nonetheless... Hopefully, it will be a helpful thing that you can hang your hat on as we go throughout the book of Ephesians. So here in chapter 1, as we dive in, we're going to see um, Paul's description of the content of salvation. The content 
of salvation. He's going to plumb the depths. And y'all, there is no way I can cover everything that is in these 10 verses today. So we're actually going to probably spend a couple weeks on it. I started getting into this sermon. I was like, nope, there's way too much here to cover in one sermon. So, uh, so, so don't be afraid. If we can't get to everything that's in here. We will get to it uh, eventually. But let's dive right in. Let's dive right in. Paul, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This first couple sentences just set the stage for us. Paul. Paul wrote this book. Do you guys know who Paul was? I just thought I'd stick for a moment on Paul. Paul was one of the most important messengers of the gospel, of the Christian message in all of Christendom, in all of history. And he was picked specifically by Jesus Christ. His life was dramatically changed by a direct encounter with Jesus Christ. He was on the road to Damascus. It's recounted in Acts chapter 9. And he has this unbelievable experience of Jesus meeting him on the road. He sees this bright vision of Christ. And, he's, he, and Jesus is like, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Or Paul. He has sort of two names interchangeable in the New Testament. And, he, and he's dramatically changed. And he goes from, he goes from being a scholar where he remains a scholar. But, y'all, he was raised with a silver spoon. He went to the finest Greek schools, and when he was finished with the finest Greek schools, he went to the finest Hebrew schools. He trained under what was considered at that day to be the most important Pharisee. The most important scholar of the Old Testament is who he trained under. This guy knew his stuff backwards and forwards, and he was a devout Jew at the time. Devout. And so, because he was devout, this Jesus Christ character is coming on the scene. And so he begins to persecute the Christians. And not only does he persecute them, he, starts, he literally kills them. I want to I just, just settle in on that for just a second. This guy, who is gonna, about to, we're about to dive into a magnum opus on the glories of Jesus Christ. At one point, he was killing people that believed in Jesus Christ. It's hard to fathom. It's an incredible picture of the fact that God is at work in the gospel message. And it was, y'all, I promise, the first century Christians who were reading this, they were also blown away by this fact. This man, they, they probably had family members. Think about it. Friends, cousins, who were killed by this guy, who was writing them their letter and telling them what to believe about Jesus Christ. But they knew, they knew. Something incredible had happened. And Paul says it for us this morning and explains to us what happened. He says, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. He did not... Apostle, y'all... Okay, well, we don't have time to get into it. I'm not even going to... Apostle is a term in the New Testament. It, in the Greek, it just means messenger in the Greek, but it was also a designation for those who had had direct uh, encounters with Jesus Christ. I'm going to leave it at that. You'll just have to, we'll have to dive into that another time. But um, the question is, how, how did this happen that Paul is now writing these incredible words about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done? Was it because he was really diligent in going to his therapy? Um, was it because he was an avid reader of self-help books 
and had just some incredible life change? Was it because he had seen the gifts that God had given him and he came to the logical conclusion that God could use him in his purposes? Or was he looking for a career in writing letters and public speaking? The answer is no. No. None of those things ever came across Paul's mind and none of them had anything to do with the radical life change that he had. He describes what happened. The will of God happened. (laughs) He says, I'm an apostle by the will of God. It was not his choosing. He did not pick his life. God found him. And it's important for us to remember this as we we start this passage because a lot of what we're going to read in Ephesians has to do with the will of God. Not the will of man, not a logical conclusion, not self-help. The will of God is at work. And he does some radically amazing things in people's lives, including Paul's. His will, God's will, is what keeps Christianity going. It's why it's at the beginning of the book of Ephesians. Many people say, I've heard people say this. I've had professors say this before um, in, in class. Like, you know, we're worried about Christianity. You know, we're worried about Christianity in America because the church seems to be fading and, you know, uh, in other parts of the world. The reality is this, y'all. God's got it. <laughs> we really don't need to be worried about whether there are going to be a Christians a generation or two from now. We need to be faithful to what God has called us to do as his will works in our life. But his will is the most important factor in the spread of Christianity and in the life change that we or anyone experiences. The will of God is what does it. It's not up to us. And Paul, I, I guarantee, if you read about his life, the, the stuff he went through, the shipwrecks he was involved in, the beatings, beatings that he took. He, was stra- he, would, he would be chained to individuals and ha- be under house arrest and not be able to leave his own house. The man went through incredible suffering. I promise you he did not pick that life. He knew from his encounter with Jesus Christ, this is the will of God. And I'm simply going to follow the will of God. And hopefully, as an application for us, we can take, also take deep comfort in the fact that when we surrender to the will of God, He will lead us probably into suffering, but He will lead us into freedom. And we're going to look at that as He redeems us as towards the end of this passage. He will lead us. He is not going to leave you high and dry. If the will of God calls you, He will equip you and He will be with you. Every step of the way. And Paul knew that. Even through the suffering that he experienced, he knew God is with me every step. Okay, so now we move quickly into who the letter is written to. It says, the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. It's an instructive sentence. The saints who are in Ephesus. Okay, saints. We'll dive into that for a second, but then we'll look also at in Ephesus. If you think of someone who's from a certain town, they're in Ephesus, you are colored by that town, are you not? If you are a Charlottesvillian, you are colored by this town. There are certain things that, without you even knowing it, you're going to be influenced by, right? You're, you're automatically going to say to your friends and family, you know what, I value a smaller town. I like the fact that when I go to the grocery store, I see people I know. And I, this is true. I actually do value that. I, I love that about this place. Or you go in the downtown mall and it's like, oh, hey, Bob. Hey, Jim. Hey, Sally, whatever. 
And we, we tend, you absorb these things when you live in a certain place. Also for Charlottesville, if you live here for a while, you're probably going to begin to value food. <laughs> because this town knows how to cook. I don't know what it is, but chefs just come here. They flock here. Um, I know one just opened. I was talking to a lady at Shenandoah Joe's Coffee Shop the other day, and she was like, yeah, there's a brand new, of course, restaurant opening up on Main Street. And the guy who's opening it up is, was her husband. or No, it was, a, it was her sister's husband. And he trained under this extremely famous chef in D.C. You know what I'm talking about? The famous chef in D.C. is world-renowned. Anyway, what, I, don't, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but this guy, directly trained under him, opening a, a restaurant in Charlottesville. You're going to like food. It's, you're, you can't help it. Uh, another thing. Uh, sorry, I just can't help it. Um, I don't know. I'll ask me after the service. Um, but you, you probably, if you grow up here, like my kids, Hunter being one of them, you're probably going to learn to play a musical instrument. Because if you go through the public school system, they pl- they're like, you are going to do music. And so, Hunter, what are you playing right now? Baritone. He's actually getting really good at the baritone. Um, so, and finally, you're going to value probably the beauty of the mountains and also lots and lots of education. You can't help but be influenced by the place you're in. So these people were in Ephesus like we are in Charlottesville. Now, here's, there's a point to this. <laughs> he goes on and he says, to the faithful in Christ Jesus. See that on there? It's easy to, to look at that verse and be like, okay, what he's meaning is the people who have held on to their faith, who've been, who've been really good and really diligent and, and, and have done a good job at everything, but there's something different going on here because you have to understand, and we're going to dive into it throughout Ephesians, this phrase, this loaded, incredible phrase, in Christ Jesus. Paul's going to use it Dozens of times in this book. In, and it means so much. We'll, we'll, this is just the start. In Christ Jesus. He's, he's saying, when you live, hear, hear me out, just like Charlottesville, when you live in Christ Jesus, and you are influenced by Him, and you feel Him, and you know Him, and you're relating to Him personally, faithfulness happens. He's not saying, you are faithful, thus then you get into Christ Jesus. You'll see that throughout this passage. He's saying when you are in Christ, you absorb it and you are faithful. That's how this equation works. And you'll see that throughout this passage as he talks about us being chosen. You absorb it. It's like being in Charlottesville. Yes, admittedly, you might influence Charlottesville a little bit. So the analogy breaks down because, you know, you might be famous in Charlottesville and buy a bunch of buildings and change the landscape, blah, blah, blah. But for most of us normal people, no. You just absorb. <laughs> You're not really contributing a whole lot to the culture. Maybe a little bit. Um, but he's saying when you're in Christ, incredible things are going to happen. You wa- Watch this. You're going to see it as we dive through this passage. It, when you're in Christ, the blessings start to come. Let's do it. Let's dive right in. Verse 3. Here he goes. Here he goes. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, 
according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Man, that's a mouthful. But it's awesome. If you're, let's break it down just a little bit today. I want to just look at a couple of thoughts for us. We're not going to spend a ton of time on every word. Don't worry. But I just kind of want to give us a primer on what's happening in the book of Ephesians. In Christ is the most important theme in Ephesians. It is loaded. And he's going to get into it right here. He says, we have been chosen in Christ. We have been chosen, y'all. I know. It's a Presbyterian church, so we can talk about this, right? We don't have to, we don't have to dodge this. It's, it's right here. We were chosen in Christ. What does that mean? It's not some hard, harsh thing. It's not some like, God is this vindictive person up in heaven. Yes, no, yes, no. No, no. It says, in love. In love. You know, some people substitute the word pre or foreloved for foreknown. Like, God, God foreloved us. He, he, he loved us before we were ever born. In love, he predestined us for adoption. And y'all, this is awesome stuff. Because adoption back then in the Roman world, the Greek world, is different than our understanding of adoption. We think of adoption as being something like getting a small child, you know, usually sometimes from a foreign country, sometimes from here, and then you raise up that child and you make sure you care for that child just like you would your own. And the child often, until they're older, doesn't even know that they were adopted. You have to tell them because they just assume you're their parent. Well, it's a little bit different in the Greek and Roman world uh, it, and at that time, you often were adopted later in life. So sometimes, usually, in fact, you would be adopted as an adult. Now, what's the point? Okay, and also note here, many people like to claim that the scriptures can be sexist. And yeah, there's some phrases in there that, yes, certainly on the surface appear that way. But if you think culturally for just a moment, he says you were adopted as sons. He is including both women and men in that. Because the only way that you got true adoption in that culture, that culture, was the fact that you were the heir, the son of someone who had brought you into their family. He, what he's talking about here is all about inheritance, y'all. It's all about wealth. Notice how he says, in Christ, every spiritual blessing. Okay, this wealth of blessing is coming your way. How are you going to get it? How are you going to get it? You're going to get it by being in Christ. And... When you're in Christ, you're adopted. Meaning, just like in that culture, you, you have become, as you are adopted in that culture, you take on the name of the person. Our only real analogy to this today would be like marriage. right? You could be born destitute, poor, from a no-good family in a no-good corner of the world. But hey, if you find the right person and you marry into money, what do you get? Their wealth. Right? Assuming, okay, forget the prenup stuff, okay? Assuming it's a normal wedding, a normal marriage, you, by the simple fact that you had this vow and you signed this piece of paper, all of a sudden, all of that wealth that person had, all their homes, all their cars, everything, it's yours now. And generally, if they die, you get it all. That is what Paul is trying to get across here. He's like, God is bringing you into Christ, He loves you this much. He brings you into Christ. And then, once you get into Christ, you're adopted. And all that wealth, 
all that spiritual blessing just comes on you like a rain. He says in the passage, he goes a little further, he lavishes grace upon us. It's just, it's coming at you. can't stop it. It's coming at you. You have got wealth galore. Let's talk about a couple of the things you get. Let's talk about a few of the houses and cars that come with Christ because they're not physical. They're not real houses and cars. But here's some of the things we share through our adoption. We share with Jesus through our adoption in his death. Meaning, because of your sin, you deserve death. The Bible is very clear about that. But when you're in Christ, it is as though you died with him. His death counts for you. Think about that. He died for you. It counts for you. That's one of the spiritual blessings you get by being in Christ. We also share in his resurrection. What is the resurrection? What did the resurrection accomplish? Oh, neat. He raised from the dead. Yes, we are going to be raised from the dead also because we're in Christ. But it also means that all those medals that he won through his victory over (laughs) sin and death, those medals now get hung around your neck because you're in Christ. You've been adopted into Christ. Those metal, You can rip open your shirt now, and you can look death in the face and say, I got you. I got this. Oh, death, says Paul, where is your sting? It's nowhere. I got it. I'm going to live forever because I'm in Christ. I have his medals around my neck. You can say the same thing. The Bible talks a lot about this. Same thing with sin. And if you're like me, you get tempted to sin all the time. There are, temp- there are temptations that you're going to face this afternoon. And when you wake up in the morning tomorrow morning and tonight before you're going to bed and you can rip open your shirt and be like, nope, sin, no way. I got this because I got the victory of Jesus hanging around my neck. I don't have to participate in the sin. I can walk away. I'm not bound to it. That's the freedom that Jesus Christ bought us when we're brought in him into Christ. And y'all, these are amazing spiritual blessings, life-changing spiritual blessings. You don't have to be owned by death and by sin. There's a victory that we share with him. Now, we also share in that vital union that he has with the Father. When we're brought in Christ, we also get to experience that vital union that he has with the Father. So we're legally adopted, but we're also vitally adopted. There's a new life that we get to live. There's a a new presence of God that is given to us through the victory bought through Jesus. Okay, okay. I don't have to, I, I, there's no way I have time to get into all the spiritual blessings. It says every spiritual blessing is yours in Christ. I, we just don't have time to get into all of them. We're going to get into more though as we go through Ephesians. But let's, let's sort of start to conclude with this. What's the point? Okay, so in love, God chose me. He found me. I didn't find him. It was his will to find me. And he... In love, he predestined me to adoption. Oh, I get brought into the family of God. All these incredible spiritual blessings are now mine. What's the point? Just so I can be like, I'm awesome, and walk around and just kick people in the teeth? No, absolutely not. Here's what it says in the verse. It's to the praise of his glorious grace. Hmm. We get to wake up every morning and be like, wow, I got all that. I get all that. Even me. I get all those spiritual blessings. So, if I asked you this question this morning, are you a Christian? There's two bad answers and there's one good answer. Bad answer number one, I'm trying. That's bad answer number one. Here's why. Paul is saying here, you are either in Christ and 
every spiritual blessing is yours, or you're not in Christ, and you get no spiritual blessings. Do you see the difference? You either have it all, or you don't have it all. There's no... I thought of Yoda when I was preparing the sermon. I'm so sorry. But it just... He, you, know, you know his little phrase? Um, do or do not. There is no try. It kind of applies in this passage, too. It's in Christ or not in Christ. There is no try. It's not, I'm move, well, I'm moving a little closer to Christianity. It's either all yours or it's not yours. And the, the, the living, and you're going to see from Paul, the living out of this in, in chapters 4, 5, and 6 is basically you living out the truth that it's all yours already. That you are just showered with the spiritual blessings. Okay, so bad answer number one is, I'm trying. Bad answer number two is, Nathan, well, of course I'm a Christian. That's bad answer number two. Because um, this is like step one of becoming a Pharisee. Um, you know, yes, I go to church and I serve and I'm nice to other people. Well, of course I'm a Christian. Okay, bad answer number two. The praise of his glorious grace is now gone. It's gone. Because it's, of course, I, of course I, I mean, I'm, just, I'm a pretty good person. You know, and Paul's like, no, 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 no. He's like, if you really grasp this and grasp what you were before God found you and chose you, you will see that it is incredible. Even me? <laughs> of all the people walking this planet who should not get this blessing, who should not be adopted into this family, I would be the one. <laughs> you see? There's a praise there. What glorious grace I have been given by God, brought into this family where every piece of wealth is now mine. <laughs> Y'all, we, we don't... What? It's crazy. Okay, here's another reflection. The first line of the hymn, Amazing Grace. Everybody knows Amazing Grace. It's about grace. And there's a sense in which it's about the praise of God's glorious grace. But most people don't. We sing it like, oh, yeah, Amazing Grace. Oh, I love that song. People, you know, they play it at like big sports events. It's like, oh, yeah, of course. But if you think about the first line, it's, it's incredible. So here's how it goes. You might even know how to sing it, right? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I did us the favor of looking up on the dictionary what a wretch is. Okay, here it is. This is from dictionary.com. A deplorably unfortunate or unhappy person. Or, number two, a person of despicable or base character. So do you reflect on that line, that first line of, or are you just like, amazing grace? Like, that was me outside of Christ. That. That is me outside of Christ. In Christ. All the spiritual blessings are mine. So Paul's trying to get across. If you get it, if you get both of those things, if you get the wretch thing and you get this incredible thing that God has done in your life, you can't help but praise his glorious grace because it's something that we did not deserve. Okay, what's our time? There's so much here. There's just so much here. Okay. What's that? I know, I know, I know. Um, no. Okay, uh, we're going to, okay, Con- conclusion. 
redemption. Let's just, let's just peek into redemption. And then we'll, we'll go more fully next week. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Woe. Woe again. More spiritual blessings. They are pouring out like rain. Get soaked. What is redemption? Well, it's, it's, being, it's being brought out of captivity and owned by the one who bought the person or thing out of captivity. What are we captive to as human beings? Well, let's be honest, y'all. Anything. Anything, including sin, and usually sin. Anything. We can be, what are you living your life for? What do you wake up and live your life for? That's what you're captive to. And it'll eat you alive. Because anything you're living your life for, outside of Christ, will own you. It'll own you, and here's what it does. Anything you're living for, outside of Christ, is going to push you away from God and from other people. Always does. Always does. It isolates. It puts us in aloneness. That's the idea of the captivity the Bible is talking about. Being alone in a cell. I read an article this week about this man who was in solitary confinement for 17 years. I don't know if you saw this. I mean, which is just, it's hard to fathom. But obviously it talks about the the mental anguish and the heart anguish that he went through. And he actually began to self-mutilate. And the reason that he would self-mutilate, cut himself all over, do all kinds of horrible things to his body, is just so that they would come running into his cell and he would have any sort of human contact. That's how bad captivity gets. That's the kind of captivity we have been rescued from through Jesus Christ, y'all. Have you thought about it recently? Wow. Okay, and then ending. Ending. That was, that was the concluding like, illustration, but there's an ending too. Woo! Shawshank Redemption. It's got to be a movie. Yep, welcome. Shawshank Redemption. If you haven't seen it, I recommend it. It's incredible. Morgan Freeman is the uh, you know, supporting actor, we'll say. And he is this character known as Red. And this is what I think a lot of pastors don't talk about. I haven't heard it much in sermons ever before, so I thought, well, I'll talk about it. And this is, when you're, when you're released from captivity, when God rescues you, when you really experience this grace that we're talking about here this morning, y'all, there is, a, there is an openness and there is a wideness that can be discombobulating. And hard. I'm not kidding. It's like Red, so he's the supporting character. He gets released from prison in the movie. And he literally doesn't know what to do with himself. The only thing he's ever known, he got arrested when he was a teenager. He, and he's like 70-something at this point. He's only known jail his whole life. He's only known captivity. And when he gets released out there, he, he, he gets lost. He doesn't know what to do with himself. He doesn't know how to buy groceries and how to like, interact with other people. That are, that are, he doesn't know how to deal with freedom. And so he ends up actually taking his own life. It's a sad part of the story. But so my, here's the point. Here's my point. Y'all, it can be, it can be confusing when we're in, our, in the wideness and openness of freedom. Free, real freedom. If you get free, if you start to get free a little bit, let's say you've got a sin that's just, that just weighs on you all the time and you finally get free of it or, or there's just something in your, you know, you, you, you begin to truly experience the grace of God and, and you walk away from the busyness of the rat race, okay? Y'all, there's an openness there and you have got to cling to God hard. 
you've got to cling to Jesus with everything you've got. Because only a deep relationship with him is going to carry you out to that openness. Because here's what happens otherwise. If you're like me, you get into the openness of God's grace and God's freedom, and you're like, whoop! And you run to some other captivity. It's like, okay, I'm free from that. I got free from my love of money, or I got free from, you know, treasuring my family above Jesus, whatever it is. I'm free from that. But then it's like, whoop! You just go straight to the other addiction, the next thing, right? Because it's like, I can't handle this openness, this wideness. There's just so much. But the relational aspect is what Paul's talking about as he opens this passage. He says, the will of God. The will of God. When you're out in that wideness, that scary openness, that scary, like, I'm free, truly free, y'all, it's when we say, I surrender to your will, Lord. You lead me. Take me where you want me to go. Show me what you want to show me. Put the people in my life you want to put me. And y'all, it is a glorious ride. When we are really that surrendered into the will of God. Wow. That's what Ephesians is all about. It's an awesome book. Let's pray. Lord, there, I can't get at the, the goodness that's here in this passage. But you can, and your spirit can, and I pray that it would. I pray that you would bring Ephesians alive for me and for all of us as we walk through this incredible book about the incredible blessings that you've poured out into our life, Lord. I pray, Lord, for anyone in here that is, that is feeling captive, that you would free, free those that are feeling captive today, Lord. And I pray as they get out into that, that discombobulating openness, I pray that you would be right there by their side to walk them on your journey. Lord, if there's someone in here who has never surrendered to your will, I pray that today would be the day that there would be a true surrendering, that we would get out of the center of our life and put you right back there, Jesus, where you belong, and that we would just simply follow. Just follow. And Lord, I pray that your grace would be the fuel and that the ride would be awesome. You promise us it will. So we pray this all in your name. Amen. I'll wait for the kiddos. Are they heading, heading this way? All right, we'll wait just one second. Well, hello there. Your parents said they want to shower grace on you because they've been getting grace by God. I'm... Hello. Hi. So here it is again. Here's this spiritual blessing. That's what Jesus was talking about with the uh, disciples when he was up in the upper room with them and he was introducing this meal to the church. He was saying, y'all, this is just a physical picture of the blessings I'm going to constantly give you. And that is why we do communion every week. It's not just because we're like, oh, yeah, I mean, well, we might as well just be like the Episcopalians. No, it's a little more thoughtful than that. Though that's not a bad thing, right? Episcopalians are great. But we do it because we want to be reminded constantly that these blessings are ours all the time. And the blessing of Christ, being in Christ, is ours at all times. So when he was with the disciples in that upper room, he said, this is my body. This is my body, 
which is broken for you. You're going to share in this. That's why we share this meal. Jesus was like, you are going to share in my death and in my resurrection. And the benefits are going to keep, at, keep coming to you. Just like food benefits our body and nourishes us, Jesus is like, I'm going to nourish and benefit you for all time. So let's eat with that remembrance. And if you're not in Christ, if you have not received him, then we would ask that Jesus, Paul said, don't eat unworthily. Don't eat my body unless you are in Christ, because this is a picture of the benefits that are coming to you in me. And so maybe it's a time to reflect and to pray about where God has you and where he wants to bring you as he draws you to himself. But boy, eat and benefit this morning being in Christ for those that are with him. David, if you don't mind. Thanks, bud.